You are listening to an oral history recorded as part of Crafty Suenzo's A Heritage Lottery funded project led by Red to Green. This oral history features Colin Marshall, Mill Trustee of Burwell Museum and Mill. He was interviewed by Cosmo Collison, Hayden Batts and Charlie Cobden at Swatham Primary School in Swatham Bullbeck, Cambridgeshire. The windmill was last used commercially in 1955. The miller at the time, Warren Stevens, he then retired. Nobody wanted to buy the windmill, so it just stood there. And windmills are one of those buildings that, if you don't look after them, they very rapidly deteriorate. By 1970, the mill was in a terrible state. The walls were falling off, the sails had half fallen off, It was extremely dangerous to go inside because of rotten wood and danger of things falling on your head. A trust was set up. That's a group of people who want to look after something. A trust was set up to try and save the mill. And a group of local Burwell people got together and they brought in a few other mill enthusiasts from around the area and they did some repairs to the mill to try and stop it getting any worse. They put a new roof on it. The roof had totally disintegrated and water was pouring down through the mill every time it rained. All the wood in it was getting rotten. So they put a new metal lid on. They took the old sails off so that they didn't fall off and damage anything else and damage people around there. And over the next 15 years, they raised a little bit of money here and there and they managed to get the mill to a state where they could actually put two sails back on the mill. While that was going on, another group of people in Burwell decided to set up a museum. And the best site for the museum was a field right next to the mill. So they started collecting items for the museum. And then eventually in 1992, they opened the museum. They'd they'd built a barn that they'd moved from a farm near Linton. And they moved the great big barn, rebuilt it in Burwell. And they put all their exhibits in there. And that became the museum. And a few years after that, it was decided to merge the two together so that the mill then became part of Burwell Museum. And from then on, it stayed the same and the mill, both the mill and the museum have developed from there. So that's how it all started. I retired seven years ago and decided I wanted to do something different. I used to work in microelectronics and I got fed up with doing little tiny things. I wanted to do something big. I like engineering, always have liked engineering, so I'll do some big engineering, not little engineering. And at that time, the museum had managed to get a lottery grant to totally renovate the mill and get it back to full working condition as it was in 1955. And the museum was looking for some volunteers to come and build some shutters. They're the the big wooden flaps in the sails. 192 of them they wanted so they looked for a team of volunteers and they built up a team of 10 volunteers and we made the shutters for the the new sails that were going to be put on by the end of the lottery project the mill had been restored and it had been restored by professional millwrights and builders so they knew what they were doing but the museum obviously couldn't afford to keep paying them to keep looking after the mill so they said to the shutter team as we called ourselves well would you look after the mill? So we said, yeah, we'll look after the mill, but somebody's going to have to teach us. 
A lot of the mill owners around this area, and you're probably aware there are a lot of windmills in this area, there's more windmills in this area than in any other part of the country. The mill owners around here were extremely helpful and gave a lot of time to help us. During our first year of looking after the mill, we had some terrible problems with it. More things went wrong, serious things. The cap on the top of the mill, the cap should turn to keep the sails facing into the wind. If they don't, if the wind gets behind the sails, then the whole cap can get blown off and the cap wouldn't turn. By the end of that first year, we've got it turning properly and it has turned properly ever since. So we're quite pleased with what we did there. And now we've got a team go along once or twice a week to keep the mill maintained. And at the moment, we're working on putting some new millstones in. So we're replacing some millstones at the moment. My grandfather was a cabinet maker and he taught me the love of wood. He lived in Blackpool and I used to go up to Blackpool as a child every summer where you spend six weeks up in Blackpool with my cousins. And I would spend a lot of the time there working in his um, workshop, working with him. And I developed a real love of wood. So I was delighted when I saw the advert for volunteers for the shutter team. And it's just grown from there. And I love it. All of us do as well. Um, our wives call it the old men's club, but because um, <laughs> most of us are retired. But we have got a few younger members in the team as well now. One of the biggest challenges of restoration is knowing whether to renovate something or restore it. So if something breaks, do you replace it with something new or do you try and repair what was there so as to, to keep the old stuff there? When you set out with a project like a windmill to keep it for posterity, one of the key things is you set yourself a target. You, you set a frame as to what you're going to do. And our frame is that we try and maintain the mill as close as possible to how it was when it stopped working commercially in 1955. So when we do a restoration, we look at, well, how would it have been in 1955? We don't look at when it was built in 1820. We don't know exactly what it was like. Their mills have changed over the years. Got one great big pulley on the ground floor that just sits there in splendid isolation. But we leave it there because it's part of the history. We know it was there in 1955, so we leave it. Very occasionally, we do have to replace things. When you do replace things, you then have to think, can I replace this with something that looks exactly as it was originally? For example, if a, if a timber beam needed replacing, could we get some timber of a suitable age from a reclamation site and put that in so it, the beam is still the right age. If we have to put a new one in, then we need to make sure it looks new so that there's no question of us pretending that it's old. So, for example, when you're doing restoration on something like a windmill, you wouldn't put a new timber in and then try and treat it to make it look old. So you never pretend. One of the biggest problems we have... Um, is that in 1955, nowhere other than a few very specific factories used crosshead screws. You know, the screws with a crosshead in them. They all used the slotted screws. Slotted screws, which has got a single slot on and a flat blade, you turn them with a flat bladed screwdriver. Slotted screws are getting extremely difficult to get now and very expensive. So we have to be very, very careful. And there have been times where we've actually had to take slotted screws 
because they are so visible, take um, crosshead screws and cut slots in them so they look like slotted screws. Um, so these are the sort of problems we have while we're, we're doing it. There are other times when, for example, up in the cap, some of the joints in the, the big wooden beams, the, the wooden beams in the roof are about so square and made of oak. They're the originals, they're 200 years old, but the joints between them are not as tight as they used to be. So the roof used to wobble. And that was part of the reason why the cap wouldn't turn, as I spoke about earlier. So what we did there was we bought, or we had made some iron girders to fit underneath the wooden beams and then we bolted them to the wooden beams to stiffen everything. We left the old beams there because they were still sound and we put some new iron beams in but we didn't pretend they were original so they're painted, they look new and anybody who comes around we tell them, you know, those are just put there to keep the mill safe and that's the sort of thing we have to do. But whenever you go to do any job in the mill you have to start by thinking about how you're going to do it so it looks right when it's finished. No new windmills have been built in this country since 1900, apart from one. There is one new windmill has been built since then. And in general, they haven't been built because it's, really there's no economic reason for having a windmill these days. Powered mills are much more efficient, much greater throughput. Nobody would use a windmill these days to, to grind flour um, as a commercial enterprise. So there's no real reason for building a windmill, which is why none have been built. But about 10 years ago, a gentleman somewhere in Norfolk, I can't remember exactly where, decided as an experiment to build a new windmill to traditional shape and traditional designs, but using very modern materials. So instead of having a stone tower, he's got a steel frame and concrete round it. The sails are made of fiberglass. <laughs> And it is very successful. It works very well and just shows what could have been done if people back in Victorian times had had access to those sort of materials. But they didn't. The basic job of a windmill is to convert wind power into a useful function. Really, that's the function of any machine, is to turn one form of energy into either another form of energy or into a process. And the process that's used in a windmill is to grind corn into flour. And it does that by having some big sails that catch the wind. They're called sails on the windmill because the very early windmills did use canvas sails just the same as they had on ships. Later on, they found it much more efficient to use wooden sails on windmills because those you can adjust while the sails are turning. The canvas ones, you actually have to stop the sails to move the canvas to adjust them to, to catch the wind properly. Um, so the, the wooden ones are much more efficient, much more easy to control. So that's the basic process of, of a windmill. Um, the sails, the wind will turn the sails quite slowly. So the sails go round about once every eight to ten seconds. Eight to ten seconds for the sails to go right round. But the grindstones need to turn round about a hundred times a minute. So there's some very big gears inside the mill. And the gears themselves are quite interesting. The early windmills used gears made entirely out of wood. So you have wooden teeth pushing on wooden teeth. And they wore out quite quickly. And then around 1850, 1860, it became possible to make big iron castings quite cheaply. So a lot of mills said, oh, let's get rid of our um, wooden wheels and put iron wheels in, in place because they'll last a lot longer. 
Well, they did last a lot longer, but the mills didn't. Because iron banging on iron sparks. And flour dust is highly inflammable. It's more inflammable than gunpowder. And within 30 years, three quarters of the mills in this country had burnt down. By which time they'd realised what the problem was and come up with what I consider to be a wonderfully typically British um, compromise that they made one of the gears out of wood and one of the gears out of iron. And wood on iron doesn't wear anywhere near as rapidly as wood on wood, so the wooden gear lasted a long time, and wood on iron doesn't spark. Um, Most mills these days, apart from a few very old ones that have kept the all wooden teeth for historical reasons. Most modern mills, and Burwell's no exception, uses wood and iron pairs of, of gears. The 19th century, so from 1800 up to 1900, was really the heyday of the windmill. By 1800, they had developed good designs for windmills that were quite efficient, um, certainly much more efficient than the earlier designs. Um, they were easier to build, and they could um, you could build them bigger, so you could get, uh, grind more corn with them. Steam power was available during that period, um, even at the beginning, but it wasn't very easy to use, it wasn't very widespread, it was expensive. So windmills were very, very popular through the 19th century, but by 1900 they were beginning to become less popular. Steam-driven roller mills had largely taken over the production of flour, but the, re- the end of the windmills really came um, with the First World War when, because, um, because of the war, it wasn't possible to import very much grain into this country. So we had to make use of what grain we could grow here. And the government made a law that said that no grain was to be ground in stone, in windmills. With, um, with stones. It all had to be roller ground because when you ro- grind corn with rollers you actually get about three times as much flour out as you do from a stone ground flour and they needed the flour. So windmills were just closed down. From then on those that remained survived because they were grinding animal feed not corn. So they were grinding up um, dried vegetables for feeding to the animals some were used even for grinding cement and we believe that the, the mill in Burwell, one of the stones there from 1930, was used to grind coprolites. Uh, coprolites are lumps of stone that you find in the ground around this area. They're found in the clay that you get around here. Um, but it's a particularly special kind of stone that's very rich in nitrogen and you grind it up and it makes a good fertiliser. There used to be a coprolite factory just outside Burwell that ground coprolites for fertiliser. That closed in 1930, but we think that for the rest of the life of Burwell Mill, one of the stones there was used to grind coprolites because we've just started taking that stone apart and we found evidence of coprolite dust. Many of us will turn up on either Thursdays or Sundays when the museum is open to act as mill tour guides. So probably on average, I've worked two days a week. The most rewarding part of working on the windmill, there are really two things. Firstly, I thoroughly enjoy using my hands 
and doing some engineering, and particularly this big engineering where you can see what you're doing. When I used to work in microelectronics, everything you did was through microscopes and very, very difficult to see what you're doing. And a lot of it, even then, you still couldn't see because it's in the components themselves. Now you work with a piece of wood and you shape it to, to do what you want it to do. And you can get a great deal of satisfaction from that. It is amazingly satisfying, particularly in this day and age where almost everything is handed to you on a plate that somebody else has made it for you, that you can say, I made that. And it works. And you can see it working. Certainly the first day we got the mill to grind flour for us was quite a humbling experience. It was really emotional and exciting. When the sails started, we'd had the sails turning, but for the first time we got the stones turning and there was flour coming out of the chute. And that first day we did it, we were grinding 90 kilograms of flour an hour for about four hours. And it then took us nearly a week to get it all in bags. <laughs> 90 kilograms an hour, that's a lot of, a lot of flour. But the second thing is actually just the friendship with the team. When you've got a group of people who've all got the same attitudes as yourself, who thoroughly enjoy working, to work together as a team, because this is the big thing with working on a project as big as the windmill, you can't do it on your own. There are mill owners around this area who've tried to keep mills going on their own, and they couldn't do it. And 10 years ago, they set up a group called Teams, the East Anglian Mill Society. And Burwell is part of that. And we get together a couple of times a year just to swap stories, swap ideas, swap notes on what works and what doesn't work. But most importantly, when somebody who's got their own mill, because there are a few people who own their own mill, need a big job doing, then we'll get together a group of people from Teams and go and give them a hand. So it's the working together is the other side of it. When I retired, I missed the the contact with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, yeah, I can go out and meet friends and that. But actually having people around you in a group and doing something together, it's the doing something together that I think is the biggest part. Being part of a team. Think of the windmill as a machine. It is a very old machine. It's 200 years old. It's made of material that deteriorates quite quickly. It's made of largely of all the working bits are made of wood and the tower is made of stone, the local stone clunch that doesn't last very long. You have to look after it. Windmills do not keep going on their own. Although we got the mill working four years ago and it has been largely working since then, there have been a lot of little things have gone wrong. A few big things have gone wrong that we've had to repair and we're trying to improve it. At the moment, we are... When we got the mill working, there we got just one set of millstones working. What we're now doing is getting a second set of millstones working so that we could drive two sets of stones at the same time, so double the amount of flour we can grind. But more interestingly, this second set of stones is capable of being driven by some form of engine outside the mill. On the outside of the mill, there are some big pulley wheels and you could attach a steam engine, a traction engine, or even a tractor to it to turn that set, that set of stones. The museum has an old 1930s tractor 
that he's capable of turning those stones. So we've now got a team renovating the tractor so that by next year we hope to be able to use the tractor to grind corn with this second set of stones. Just the way the mill's built, it's only that one set that can be driven from outside. And what that will mean is that because we're driving it from an engine, we can drive it whenever we want. We're not reliant on the wind. For a long time in its history, the mill had a steam engine outside in a big wooden shed. And the miller used to use that to grind corn when the wind wasn't blowing properly. So we will be doing much the same, which means that we can, as far as the museum's concerned, we can then advertise we will be grinding corn on this day, this day, this day and this day. And we know we can. At the moment, we would love to grind corn every Sunday when the museum is open and the mill's open. And probably once or twice a year, we get a good wind on a Sunday. So that's why we want to do that. So yeah, there's always something to do to keep everything going at the museum and the windmill. We need to keep changing things to keep attracting visitors. Because if we don't get the visitors coming to the mill and the museum, we won't get the money in to keep it going. Because all of these repairs cost money, big money. Just to give you an example, in a windmill, that there are some very big wooden beams that the sails are attached to. Those beams are at Burwell. They're 70 feet long and they're 18 inches square. One of those pieces cost £40,000. In 1900, there were four windmills in Burwell and they were there most of the 19th century. So... Ours was built in 1820, there was another one was built a few years before that, and there were two more were built a year or two after ours. And they replaced earlier windmills on the same sites, which replaced some water mills that were there um, back in Roman times. The windmills were necessary to grind the corn that was grown round Burwell. Because if you think back to particularly early Victorian times in the early 19th century, um, when horses were really the only means of moving stuff around, you couldn't carry your corn very far. So if you grew your corn in Burwell, you couldn't afford to take it to Cambridge to get it ground and then cart it back as flour. You wanted a windmill right near where you were. So almost all the villages around this area had their own windmills. Say Burwell had four, Swaffham Prior had two, Bullbeck actually had three water mills, Soham had seven windmills. But it does illustrate one quite interesting point that if you stand on the top of Burwell Mill, from there you can see four other working windmills. You can see Swaffham Prior Mill, which is working, you can see Downfield Mill in Soham, which is working, you can see Wickham Mill, which is working. And if it's a very, very clear day and they finish the repairs, you can see Haddenham Mill. And we believe that is the only place in Europe where you can stand on one working windmill and see four other working windmills. Thank you for letting us interview you today. I think it's been very interesting. I've learned a lot. Thank you. Again, thank you, as Charlie said, for letting us interview you. I learned a lot, and a lot of the stuff I barely knew about. Like, even though there were, like, four more really bunched up together, and that that was the only place that you could see four other windmills from. Thank you, as Charlie and Hayden said, really interesting. I, 
it, up until now, I didn't know much about windmills, or but now I know, I know quite a lot. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad to have been of help. And I hope we will see you as visitors up at the mill. Yeah. And if you're, yeah. if you're ever interested, when you get a bit older, if you want to come along as young volunteers, then we would love to see you. Okay. okay. So we hope to see you again in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.